Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Wednesday, June 8th. Coming up, when big cities in Missouri called for beefed-up witness protection two years ago, they got what they were asking for. So why are so few police departments using the program? Plus, research shows communities of color have dirtier air and water and get sicker with the heat and heavy rains climate change is bringing. Local residents are taking note. The, the environment has problems with the ozone and all of that, but I think this is something different. I think this is just some neglect of a community. How grassroots efforts in Kansas City, Kansas are calling attention to historic racism and its link to climate change. But first, some headlines. A judge has thrown out a $4 million jury award in favor of a transgender student who was denied access to boys' locker rooms and bathrooms at the Blue Springs School District. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. The jury's verdict against the school district last December included punitive damages of $4 million. But Jackson County Circuit Judge Corey Atkins granted the school district's motion to overturn the verdict, finding that the student failed to prove an essential element of his case. That element, according to the jury instructions, was that the student's, quote, male sex was a contributing factor, unquote, in the district's refusal to grant him access to the male bathrooms and locker rooms. Atkins said the uncontroverted evidence showed the student was excluded because of his female genitalia. A lawyer for the student says they will appeal. Veterans and members of the American Federation of Government Employees Union protested the possible closure of nearly 200 VA facilities nationwide yesterday. KCUR's Savannah Hawley reports. The Department of Veteran Affairs proposed the closure of facilities due to a decrease in demand and recruitment challenges. Closures in Topeka and Leavenworth, Kansas, and Platte City, Missouri would force more veterans to travel for appointments. Janet Constance, a psychologist at the VA Medical Center in Kansas City, says regional closures will decrease access for veterans in rural areas and those who need specialized care. If more veterans come to Kansas City, that's going to lead to potentially a decrease in, in timely care for everyone. If approved, the decision would cause mass layoffs and force many veterans into more expensive private care. Kansas City, Kansas firefighters protested yesterday morning in front of the fire department's headquarters, calling for an independent investigation of the department's administration. Last month, Firefighters Union Local 64 held a vote of no confidence in Assistant Deputy Fire Chief Jack Andrade. President J.J. Sima says the union is concerned about firefighting operations, response times, and resource allocation. It all does revolve about how we do our job and how we do it in the, in the appropriate manner safest possible way, efficient, and the best service to the public we can provide. This is not the first time firefighters have expressed frustration with leadership. Last year, the union voted no confidence in Chief Michael Callahan over similar concerns, including lax COVID-19 protocols. It's obvious, driving through northeast Kansas City, Kansas, a primarily black community, that there's more concrete, less green space, and more vacant homes than elsewhere in Wyandotte County. KCUR's Laura Ziegler reports activists are working with residents to understand the history of housing and other discrimination and how it worsens the impact of climate change. 
In the neat grassy interior surrounded by high-rise apartment building and multifamily townhomes behind the headquarters of the Kansas City, Kansas Housing Authority, Richard Mabian has been planting vegetable gardens with the residents here since 2015. He's always talked about how locally grown food reduces the carbon footprint, but he understands for many of these households, climate change takes a back seat to more pressing concerns. Paying rent, paying the utilities, uh, maintaining the safety of your children. But now students from Donnelly College are helping out with the gardens as part of an environmental justice class. At 76, Mabian has been a climate activist for 40 years. At this point, he believes involving the next generation is the only way to sustain climate action in these communities. We're working with them. We want to make sure you're in a position to be able to continue this going. I mean, that's climate change conscious building. Not far from the Housing Authority, Hazel Davis, a 69-year-old black woman and a lifelong resident of northeast Kansas City, Kansas, lives a block from the on-ramp of Interstate 635, where tens of thousands of trucks travel daily. She lives several miles from the Fairfax Industrial Area, home not only to a General Motors assembly plant, but also three pipeline companies that make 95% of the unleaded and diesel fuel for the Kansas City area, according to the area's website. She hasn't noticed anything foul about the air in her Northeast Wyandotte County environment until recently. The ozone and all of that, but I think this is something different. I think this is just some neglect of a community. Davis and a number of others from her community have been attending a series of workshops sponsored by the Groundwork Northeast Revitalization Organization, part of a national network of groups partnering with low-income communities. She's found that it's no accident that her neighborhood has more smog, more vehicle fumes, and industrial smoke than wealthier areas, and as a result, suffer worse consequences from climate change than their wealthier neighbors. Leading some of those workshops is Ben Carpenter, a white, 31-year-old former AmeriCorps volunteer originally from New York. On a cloudless spring morning at Jersey Creek Park in northeast Kansas City, Kansas, Carpenter unfolds a small map and runs his index finger along a jagged diagonal line through the heart of Hazel Davis's neighborhood. These purple squares are outfalls, or basically where the combined sewer system outflows uh, in extreme rain events. So you see it, it basically just traces Jersey Creek. And Jersey Creek runs right through a patch of red on the map, marking where redlining isolated black and brown communities with policies that limited lending and insurance based on race. Disinvestment and decay followed in communities like Argentine, Armordale, and the Fairfax Industrial District. The lack of resources meant more asphalt and concrete in Davis's neighborhood, resulting in urban heat islands where temperatures can be 10 degrees hotter than surrounding greener areas. Storm drains back up and streets flood with rainwater combined with household sewage due to the combined sewer system. Carpenter says the workshops are to let people know about the science and connect it to their day-to-day lives. Now, not starting from the 30,000-foot view saying, like, this is climate change, climate change affects heat, heat affects air quality, air quality affects your lungs, starting instead from, you know, the ground and saying, like, okay, how's the asthma rates? Who in your family has heart disease? Because, like, the residents know there are problems. Other grassroots organizers believe change begins with acknowledging the white upper-class origins of the environmental movement. Sunrise Movement Kansas City is part of a national organization of mostly young people who advocate for the Green New Deal. Leila Zaidi with Sunrise KC bristles when outsiders talk about how urban communities don't care about climate change. 
just because people aren't saying, I want a solar panel on my home, doesn't mean they're not talking about the effect that this entire world getting hotter has on them. And many of them are powerless to do something about it because the system has given them so few choices. But today's residents of this community are taking power into their own hands. As younger activists build on the work of earlier environmental advocates, their efforts to reduce the decades of racial discrimination and disinvestment are fighting climate change at the same time. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Laura Ziegler. Two years ago, Missouri set up a new witness protection program in the wake of high violent crime rates. But since then, only a handful of local law enforcement agencies have taken advantage of the program and have spent only $15,000 out of $2 million in annual funding. Rudy Keller of nonprofit news site The Missouri Independent covered that story, and he joined me over Zoom to talk about it. Who in Missouri pushed for funding for the witness protection program and why? Well, starting about 2019, amid concerns of growing violent crime in Missouri, the mayors of the four largest cities, and that would be Kansas City, St. Louis, Springfield, and Columbia, started meeting and talking about what they could do to curb that violence. And one of the ideas that was pushed by that group as early as October 19th was a beefed up witness protection program, a way to get people out of their neighborhoods if they feel unsafe, if they talk to police, or um, a way to provide them cell phones or some other means of communication. And there, there was an attempt made in the 2020 General Assembly to pass that, and it didn't pass. So the governor called the legislators back into special session in the summer of 2020, and it was one of two bills that they passed that was um, on the agenda. So that was the that was kind of the genesis of, of the new witness protection program. There had been one in place for a long time, but it, it was operated by the prosecutors and it never received the attention from the state that had otherwise that it otherwise might have. So they created a new program. Um, and then a few months later it was when they funded it. Um, so what did crime look like when this uh, fund was created? 2020, alongside being the COVID year, was also a peak year for violent crime in Missouri. The overall number of violent crimes report recorded by the FBI system was at a 15-year peak. St. Louis had the highest homicide rate in the nation in 2020. And in Kansas City, it was the most murders ever recorded by the police department. So the thing facing politicians that year was these incredibly loud calls to do something about this violent crime. Now, one thing that's happened since is there was about a 20% decline in all violent crimes in 2021. And in the four largest cities, there was a 26% decline in homicides. So the, you know, one reason why we're may, maybe not hearing as much clamor or perhaps use of this is that some of the problems that were being exacerbated by violent crime in, in 2020 are no longer as, as overwhelming to the local law enforcement as they seemed in that year. So how much has this program actually been used? Well, okay, so the first appropriation bill authorized up to $2 million uh, and created a fund that they've deposited money in so that's available when necessary. So it, the first funding was, was put into the program in January of 2020. 
one. And since that time, $14,647 has been spent. And why is that? Well, every police agency, um, some 600 in the state are eligible to ask for help when they need it. But apparently the need has not been $2 million worth. The agencies that haven't used it have said that they're glad it's there in case they ever do. But for the most part, the vast majority of agencies haven't even signed up to get pre-authorization to use it. Also, the vast majority are small agencies, one to half a dozen officers taking care of a community of a few hundred to several thousand people. But even in Kansas City, which had the biggest push for it, they've only used about half of the total amount used or about $7,000. So we're not sure whether the need was overstated or, you know, since it doesn't provide the kind of things that the federal witness protection program does, which is a new identity and a new place to live, it may be that uh, it's not as useful as it might be. And you spoke to some local law enforcement departments about this program. What did they say about it and why they haven't really used it that much? Well, the first agency to sign up or one of the first agencies to sign up was the Smithville Police Department in Platt County. That's a, you know, that suburb of Kansas City. So while it doesn't have a a huge department, it's right there, of course, on the edge of the urban area. And um, maybe the police chief thought that it would it would be helpful if, they, if he ever needed it. And he said it's not hard and difficult to sign up. The fact that we haven't had to use it for so far is just a blessing, uh, the chief said. So what happens to the remainder of the money in the witness protection program if it doesn't end up being used? Does it just go back to the state? Well, I mean, it's in the state treasury. So the money will be there in perpetuity. The law that created it says that you don't transfer the money that is unused back to the general fund for other purposes. So that means that the fund will continue to be there. I am not 100% certain what happens to the million dollars that was authorized for transfer to the fund because the first transfer, the beginning of 21, with interest still has about $989,000 there. So the legislature has authorized an additional $1 million to be transferred there th- during the current fiscal year and another million to be o- transferred in the coming fiscal year. That was Rudy Keller of the Missouri Independent. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Rudy's story about Missouri's Witness Protection Program and Laura's story about climate change, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.